Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. everyone and welcome back to Rotten Tomatoes is Wrong. I'm Jacqueline alongside my life partner. We have better chemistry than Oscar Isaacs and Jessica Chastain. <laughs> How you doing, Mark? Oh, you were missed, Jacqueline, is the first oh. thing I'll say, because we had a great chat, me and my new best friend, Chance the Rapper, who <laughs> apparently wants to come on the show like once a month, and I say, bring it on. We talked about Hot Rod, and we just started at Hot Rod, and we went to like nine other movies, and I know, Jacqueline, we, we have a different movie and another great guest this week, but can you just give the kids out there who missed you on our episode, oh. your, your like one sentence logline about how you feel about Hot Rod? The way I feel about Hot Rod is, first of all, I love that Bill Hader like made his entire character off of one of his friends from Oklahoma. When you are born in the South, there are personalities and Mm -hmm. things that like occur to you. And like that idea of him being on acid and having something sticking out of his head, that really happened to someone. And I love the story of Bill talking about that. His friend saw the movie and he's like, you know, that happened to me. He's like, yeah, idiot. He based it on you. And I just love that idea. Um, I I did get to listen to clips of the episode. You guys had such a great time. I'm sorry that my duties um, in the awards circuit uh, took me away from that conversation. But tell you right. How was it? You were you were hobnobbing with the fancy folk of the earth. I mean, I was. It's really funny. It was not a super spreader event. I'm still negative on COVID. Thank you very okay. much. But uh, it was fun. It was really great. And I love seeing good movies. Uh, King Richard. You guys need to check that one out. Also check out uh, The Power of the Dog, which is the Jane Campion. So I gave you a nice popcorn movie and a little auteur movie that me and my friends will like huddle beside and like pledge our love to. But both <laughs> of those are going to be part of the season. And maybe we can get those filmmakers on the podcast. Listening, I hope you're listening, Mr. Will Smith, Mrs. Jane Campion, Benedict Cumberbatch. If y'all are out there, we want to have you on. I'm but, in. Bring it on. But we're going to bring it to a little bit more when we say popcorn fair today. Um, but we are going to also take it out to the sea. The movie this week is Aquaman. Yes, this is Jason Momoa living his superhero fantasy dreams. The score <laughs> is 65% fresh on the tomato meter but it has a 74% audience score. The reason why we're talking about it this week, well, you don't need much reason than Jason Momoa is without a shirt for most of it, but 
The main reason why we're covering it this weekend is director James Wan, who directed Aquaman, has a new horror film out, Malignant. And we could not talk about this film without bringing back one of our certified fresh guests, Mr. Jay Washington from Blurreds in the Hood. Jay, I got to ask you, sir, is Rotten Tomatoes wrong about Aquaman? I would like to say on behalf of everyone who liked to watch Jason Momoa just have every fun <laughs> you could have in a movie <laughs> Yes, Rotten Tomatoes is wrong. You get almost two and a half hours of Jason Momoa just like, I get to wear my hair down and act like a punk rocker in the water. This movie, it, like, it's, you know, it's one of those movies that is just, it's super fun. And people expected too much out of a movie about a dude who talks to fish. Like, let's just be real. It's a movie about a dude who talks to fish and a fish underwater kingdom. Why were y'all expecting some cinematic masterpiece? Which it is for what it is. Like, it's beautifully done. Like, you get to see what Under the Sea look like without Sebastian. So, it's wrong. <laughs> Under the Sea without Sebastian. Which, for me, is not as great. But I'm still going to say that you're probably right on that one. Um, I, We're going to get on to this one because I think you're right. I think people maybe try to take this one too seriously. But let's be honest. This is the DCEU. And up to this point, they were kind of known for that. But, Mark... <laughs> Why don't you set the stage for us? Tell us what exactly happened in our little underwater adventure with Mr. Jason Momoa as Arthur Curry in Aquaman. Well, the guy that talks to fish that we all made fun of in high school, he's the coolest superhero now. Back yeah. to you, Jacqueline. Yeah. Um, no, that, and, and if you're watching this on one of our simulcasts where you get the video too, I am only setting up this lighting for my hotel room in Vegas because it looks like I'm actually underwater right now. So <laughs> I am going with the theme of Aquaman. In this particular iteration, you do have this badass Hulk of a beautiful man, Jace Momoa, playing Aquaman. We get his backstory where he is going to be the rightful heir to the throne of Atlantis, which we know from our reading, is underwater, completely underwater. <laughs> but King Orm seizes that throne. He's played by Patrick Wilson and the abs. Do we all see the picture? Woo! So he is now sort of the baddie in this, and he has an idea. He wants to unite everybody underwater and rule all of them. And then he wants to take that army to the surface and rid the earth of humanity. Why? Because we're awful people and we pollute the ocean. And if you live in Atlantis, which is, again, underwater, you probably don't like us too much. But Jace Momoa's Aquaman says, well, that's just not right. And so he's going to step up and we have this big battle between him and his half-brother. Who's going to win? Who's going to carry on? Well, one of them's in the Justice League, so you can probably do the math for yourself. Ah, good. Good on you, sir. Also, we do have to mention... Um, that he is a half-breed between Nicole Kidman and one of the voices from Moana. I just had to put that out there because, like, that is, like, one of the prettiest half-breed babies. <laughs> and Boba Fett. Played. Yeah. And Boba, and Boba Fett. And Boba Fett. Boba Fett. He yeah, was a you. pretty half-breed baby since he was a kid, by the way. True. They showed him as a kid, as a teenager. I was like, yeah. you were just beautiful all your life. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful chocolate superhero. I live for it. Okay, so... Let's go ahead um, and say hi as she's already, you know, jumped the gun as she's known to do with Miss Producey Lucy dancing in the back <laughs> there. <laughs> okay, this is what I'm great. This is okay. I didn't finish the movie last night because I started it at 11. Didn't realize it was three hours long. Girl. Okay. Um, all I'm going <laughs> to say about it is that if they had cast Lisa Bonet, Jason Momoa's wife in real life as Mira, there would have been more chemistry. 
Okay. Oh, yeah. I did not find the, the, yeah. the chemistry. Mm, that's all I'm going to say. Mm-hmm. I think this mm-hmm. Jason Momoa just strikes you as a dude where it's like he can have that brother sister vibe with, you know, like yeah. some ivory skin woman. But you really know he needs like a little bit of soul for him to get going. <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm sorry. Like, there's just something about the dude where it's like, no, I need a girl that wakes up with a bonnet. He for looks me to at be her. Into it. Jesus, no. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> I'm Jesus, sorry. Man. I need some cocoa butter to get my juices going. Sorry. I'm Damn, just saying. cocoa butter right there. All right. <laughs> yeah, we're going there. Okay. So, Jay, Rotten Tomatoes is wrong because you feel like this is a good time, but just real quick, give us, you know, anything that you didn't mention up at the top as to why it's wrong and maybe where you think it should be. We don't give Yahya Abdul-Mateen II enough credit. You know, granted, you don't see a super lot of him in the movie, but every time he's in there, he gives you a a performance level that's like, yo, I'm going to take this villain to a whole nother level of what you're going to see with the weirdest helmet eventually, because you know Black Manta's helmet is weird, but you you forego all of that because of how Yahya is in this movie. No, agreed. I definitely agree. Uh, Mark, what about you? Where are you feeling with it? Is Mar- is Rotten Tomatoes wrong, right, you know, in there? I think Rotten Tomatoes is pretty accurate with the 65%. I could totally see this getting up to where the audience score is, so I could probably have Aquaman around the 70s. It's a very fun movie, and I just enjoyed the sheer bulk of the cast, like how many people are in this, because you have all these different actors and actresses that you've seen for decades popping up in this what should be a ridiculous movie. I, th- I think the, the the achievement in Aquaman is that, like I said in the synopsis, Aquaman was a punchline before this movie came out. And it's like, as soon as they announced Jason Momoa's Aquaman, we all took a step back. We're like, oh, wait, they might be doing something really right here. And I mm-hmm. think that that casting paid off. So I don't think that all of the chemistry was necessarily on point to Lucy's, um, you know, quick, quick take. But I think that Aquaman does enough right to be a fresh movie. So I'll keep it where it is. Agreed. The one thing I will say, I'm, I'm, I've been a bit hard on DCU movies. I'm, I know y'all have been listening. I know you know. But the one thing I will say they always get very, very right is the casting. From Will Smith as Deadshot to Harley Quinn with Margot Robbie to uh, Gal Gadot as Wonder Woman to now um, Jason Momoa as Arthur Curry. Even when they take risk or when they play it safe, they always, I think, find the perfect person for these roles. I just wish they gave them sometimes better things to do. Um, but I'd say Rotten Tomatoes is exactly right. This score to me feels exactly right. I could see it a little bit lower, especially after the <laughs> second time. Yeah, get indignant, Jay. It's fine. You're going to have to talk. <laughs> You're a black man on the up, internet. Though. Surprise, surprise that you decided to get indignant <laughs> by something I had to say. But listen, no, it's, it's, it's right. But I will say this. For as dumb as this movie is, and this movie is dumb. This movie failed out of second grade dumb. It's just dumb. It's not a smart movie. I'm sorry. It is not. It's dumb. It's a dumb movie. It, you know, nothing against it. It doesn't mean it's a bad person, but it needed some help to make me feel like there was anything going on worth watching. But dude, Jason Momoa is having such a good time. He's having such a good time. He's having a good time. Jason Wan, uh, sorry, um, James Wan is having a good time. I think everyone is having a good time in the movie except for Amber Heard's wig. But everybody else is having a good time. And for that, I'm with it. <laughs> Willem Dafoe's Harris. Willem Dafoe's Harris having a good time. In this He's movie. even having a good time. Even him with his like, you know, I'm going to be the shady advisor. Like he's having a good time and he played Elias. 
He's Dolph having Lundgren's a good having time. a great time. Dolph Lundgren's having a good time. Like everybody committed to the absurdity. Mm-hmm. And that is a hard thing to do because you could always tell that person who's just like, I know this is going to be stupid. Like, I know this is going to be stupid. I'm just here to get my check. And so I don't get fined. <laughs> like, you can always tell when there's that person there. Um, but it was no, none of the people involved in this. Everyone's having a good time. And I think that's why critics kind of gave it a pass. But don't take my word for it. We have our review curation manager, Mr. Tim Ryan, who's going to break down for us what the critics and fans were saying about Aquaman just three short years ago when it hit theaters in a little segment we like to call Two Minutes with Tim. Two Minutes with Tim. What's the best tone for a superhero movie? Should it be exuberant and rousing? Should it be dark and gritty? Or should it be ludicrous and over the top? Aquaman embraced the third approach, and critics were by and large receptive to its fantastical visuals and its goofy charm. And though this isn't scientific by any means, I'm going to go ahead and say that the word goofy has never been used more frequently by movie critics than in their reviews of Aquaman. That being said, a number of reviews thought it was way too long and way too busy, and not all of them thought goofy was a positive thing. It's fresh at 65% with 408 reviews, and it has a 74% audience score. So what did the critics have to say? In a fresh review, Richard Roper of the Chicago Sun-Times wrote, The saving grace of director James Wan's great-looking and reasonably entertaining, but also meandering and sometimes truly ridiculous Aquaman is that everyone from the screenwriters through the talented cast seems to get the sheer waterlogged lunacy. However, in a rotten review, Jake Coyle of the Associated Press wrote, The bright spots, Momoa, that octopus, can be difficult to really relish amid the oceans of exposition and a typically pulverizing, over-elaborate screenplay. The Rotten Tomatoes critics' consensus reads, Aquaman swims with its entertainingly ludicrous ride, offering up CGI superhero spectacle that delivers energetic action with an emphasis on good old-fashioned fun. So that's Aquaman. Jacqueline and Mark... I'm sure that the discussion of this movie will keep you octopied for a while. Back to you, folks. All right. So as I said, (laughs) silly. What did he say? Goofy? I think goofy was the word he said, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Everything about this was like pretty goofy. But I don't know, man. I remember it took me a while to watch this one. I watched it at home. And I think I just like one day used my Fandango like account. And I was like, all right, I'm going to watch Aquaman. And I was surprised. I was digging it. I liked it. I had fun with it. Uh, But I don't know. We're going to find out what you guys think about it in our section called Movie Talk. Before we get into the scenes, uh... Jay, let's talk about Jason Momoa. We've already had a little bit of love fest on him, but what do you think about him as Aquaman? It's perfect because it changes what, if you read the Aquaman comics, if you saw the Super Friends cartoons where Arthur Curry was a blonde haired blue-eyed dude, you're just like, this is the lamest superhero ever. And Jason Momoa, the first time we see him in the movie is when he busts in on the submarine and he goes, permission to come aboard with the little cute turnaround and everything like that. So, like, you have so much fun with him. Also, let's not forget, we get to watch him go from fun and silly to a horror movie in the middle of the movie when they get to the trench. It all of a sudden becomes a dark horror movie and all the fun goes out the window. You're just like... This shifted gears real quick. And and he stayed with it, though. He flowed with the transition. Like, he could have stayed goofy and stupid during the dark part, but he didn't. So that's why I keep saying, Rotten Tomatoes is wrong, and I'm going to keep standing on that. 
<laughs> what about you mark i think like both of us feel the same way about about him as aquaman but I, I think it's better when you gush over jason momoa i just feel like this guy he's just cool he is just a cool guy from back when it was drogo in game of thrones who we're all like man that dude is just a badass he's the guy that men want to be and women want to be with and so yeah. if you have him as aquaman it instantly turns that perception that I've had my entire life about that character. I can go all the way back to the great mid-90s MTV sketch show, The State. The oh. State had a Justice League bit where it was Superman and Batman, and they're assembling everybody, and they keep making fun of Aquaman. Yeah. They, they're, they're talking about, okay, you need to go stop the rocket. You need to go do this, that. Aquaman, you go talk to some fish and they all start giggling <laughs> and so to go from that to the mid 2000s when we had none none other than entourage making fun of aquaman that james cameron's going to be directing this and it's going to get to be this huge hundred million dollar opening weekend property to the fact that it actually did that this movie opened around christmas and it actually hit the hundred million dollar market's opening weekend so it was like entourage was prognosticating for all of us something that we could not imagine back when that show was at its peak that you would have aquaman and the and i i think the dc did it right and i stand by this jay the dceu had to give us batman v superman with a little bit of a tease of aquaman mm -hmm. and then justice league with aquaman fighting amongst other superheroes because I don't think that we alone would have rushed into an Aquaman standalone movie before we got to see what a badass he was fighting alongside other superheroes that we were more familiar with. I see. I'm the opposite. I'm like, we had to wash that taste out of our mouth before we committed. <laughs> you, you and me in Justice League, Jacqueline. Oh, my gosh. Look, he looked very good with like I do. So one thing I will say, they incorporated Jason Momoa so much into this character. And I yeah. felt like James Wan mm -hmm. was like the perfect director for this. I think you would have been correct if maybe we didn't have James Wan behind the camera, because I feel like they could have really sort of not, I mean, just plainly just whitewashed that character in a lot of ways. And they made a really smart choice making it a uh, Polynesian Pacific Islander like that part of the character really made it more believable because like literally it's the weirdest thing in the world to be like so this like very Aryan looking dude was born underwater like that whole like visual of Aquaman doesn't really mesh when you think about the realities of how much it's like you know he's island he's fish and like just nature it's it's an indigenous story in so many ways that it makes sense to have that kind of person uh portray that so i really love what they did with that one and and again just jason moa having like the biggest amount of fun with it and look nicole kidman Another one just showing up, having a good time. Like, I don't know how James Wan convinced Nicole Kidman to, like, give up working with Meryl Streep to come and, like, play around with fishes. But thank the Lord that she did, because <laughs> that was so good. It's In the opening so scene, good. The opening scene, you get to finally be an action star, Nicole Kidman. We get yeah. to watch you twirling around a trident whooping ass and being yeah. a bad like you don't just become because the first they make it like oh this is the damsel in distress atlanta washes ashore and here comes tom curry then all of a sudden she wake up she about to kill him like get away she treats him like lilu treated bruce willis in yeah. the fifth element but then turn around when the guards from Atl atlantis come in she whoops all of them so it's like you got to tell nicole kimmy you get to do something different now yeah. And that scene is it's so important to have an actor of that caliber in a movie like this. I would liken Nicole Kidman in this to Anthony Hopkins being Odin and Thor, mm -hmm. yes. because it's like Thor is also sort of just a ridiculous concept. But if you have somebody who is that revered 
with their craft. We all as an audience, we know it's Nicole Kidman, even if we're pretending it's not. And we just buy into it a little bit more. And that opening scene really locked me into the movie where you're like, oh, no, they're taking this seriously. And yeah. so now I guess I have to as well. It's funny that you mentioned Thor, um, Mark, because, OK, this is going to be one of those. I'm going to pick up the name as soon as I drop it. But it's important to the story. So I was at Telluride and one of the movies there is Belfast, which is directed by Sir Kenneth Branagh. Yeah. And, and, and before Kenneth Branagh did Thor, he was known for like Shakespearean adaptations. And I remember when he was announced as the director, everyone was like, this dude did much to do about nothing. What is he going to know about like superheroes and such? And I actually got to talk to him about that. And he said, you know, he's like, Thor was the first comic I picked up up when I was a little kid and it is Shakespeare. He's like the colors in that comic book are literally what made me passionate about visual sort of storytelling. He's like, cause when you look at a Jack Kirby comic, they lived for colors. I mean, like mm. if you're watching us right now on one of the platforms, you see all of Jay's covers in the background. That's what, what attracts <laughs> kids to comics very early on is that colorfulness to it. And the thing with Aquaman is the same thing that was Thor. The reason why Thor works is it's really a Shakespearean tale of woe and a prodigal son. They just happen to have capes and superpowers. Aquaman is Indiana Jones adventure. It's a it's a let's go find the artifact treasure hunt adventure. They just happen to swim underwater and talk to fish. But the point of it is, is like the parts of the movie I felt that worked the best is when they're on the hunt for the trident and when they're trying to find the lost, you know, mother and all of that. <sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center. Thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. I'm so I'm so right there with you. My favorite scene in in Aquaman, I think, is so, so we get this great chase because we realize we got to go find this this legendary trident. Right. And that's mm. going to be the thing that sort of balances out the underwater kingdom and allows Aquaman to rule. So we got to find the trident. We got to do it sooner rather than later. So we go to the Sahara Desert to get the coordinates. And then that ends up giving us some sort of like hologlyphic thing where it it transports us to Sicily. And there's an action sequence in Sicily mm -hmm. that involves running around and on top of roofs where it is just such a cool looking th That is the reason why you pay James Wan whatever he wants to do a movie like this, because the way that he sets that action sequence up where you get a lot of close quarters combat, you also get these sprawling chases. That is like it, it, it did remind me of Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade where we get that. It, we're we're on boats for part of it, and we're chasing around looking for the Holy Grail. In this case, we're looking for a trident, and it just like I was shoving so much popcorn in my face during that scene. I will show you the same mercy you showed my father, and cut you like the fish you are. <laughs> 
The part where you see the 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 Atlantean guard running through everything, it reminds you of that scene in Predator 2. Remember when the Predator was running through things? Like you the way yes. it's shot. And it's like, cause you don't focus on you don't focus on Amber Heard running off the roofs. You focus on him running through buildings. Like he's mm -hmm. stopping and going, stopping and going. But you mentioned the Sahara part, Mark, and you forgot one important key element that a lot of people heard and was like, Am I hearing this correctly? And that was Pitbull's bastardization of Toto from Africa. Now, if anybody's <laughs> now, if you're gonna say any reason why Rotten Tomatoes was right about the score, it's because of that part right there. Yeah. That is the one thing that dropped every i was like is this really happening like is pitbull really doing totals africa like while they jump out of a plane i'm the living great gatsby but these boys are watching quick and disappear like banksy from ocean to ocean sea to sea i'm something that you gotta see i was so mad about that <laughs> I like forgot. i was mad for my 80s nostalgia, because by the way, if you don't know, Toto by Africa is literally the perfect song. You can play that in the middle of any environment, whether it be like the backwoods of Mississippi to like downtown Detroit, and everyone will be like, dun, 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 dun. Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? And for Pitbull to mess with that, that's like, like oh, sacrilegious, sacrilegious. <laughs> I totally Sacri forgot that that was Pitbull. I love that they put that song in that scene. But I forgot it was Pitbull. I guess I just went right from Toto to Weezer's cover of it, which was pretty good. So, I mean, it's uh, Africa Sleep by Toto. Alone. It's a one-of-a-kind karaoke. Put it on at your next karaoke event, kids. You're not going to be disappointed. <laughs> I think for me, um, it, it does go back to James Wan because, like, look, um, he came from, like, this horror genre. And the one thing about the film, which is interesting, is the big animal octopus underwater creature part of it that is him having his monster fantasy. And all of the scenes where they are fighting sort of the demons from beneath the deep are, are definitely the ones that I'm about. Like when, when Jason comes into Atlantis and sort of sees all of the creatures that would have killed him under any other circumstance. And, and just seeing that sort of like, because if you've ever seen like underwater um, deep sea documentaries where they like go down low with the like blue lights and they look at these creatures that people haven't seen before, they're all terrifying. They all yep. look like stuff. Mm -hmm. that you wouldn't want to be anywhere near if you had anything for it. And I really appreciate how James embraced that. And more importantly, like, like I would say leaned into it. And also they were clever in most of the ways that they portrayed being underwater without it feeling like uncanny valley yes the way that and and the way that they communicate with each other underwater it's like yes. well wait is, is it going to be like when my brother and i were kids and we go underwater and try to figure out what the other person's saying no mm -hmm. we get these nice little air bubble pockets yeah and i think that was just such a, a quick and clever way to you know really bridge a massive gap otherwise but my problem with the movie is that there's so much exposition that i didn't think that we necessarily needed you know, mm. and, and maybe that's getting to your point, Jacqueline, about how we get into the family dynamic, the Shakespearean tragedy of this. And there's just a lot there. And I think that they they bit off a lot. And I don't think that we chewed it all. Yeah. <laughs> but you got to have but you got to kind of have this 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 exposition, because this is the first time we're really seeing Atlantis. For those who are listening on the podcast, sure. I did the quote sure. unquote. This is the first time we're really seeing it. So they're like, OK, we're going to make you realize this kingdom isn't just 
kelp and seaweed and a few things here and there. There are all these bright colors, like they say we see in these documentaries of deep sea diving, mm. this luminescence, but also it's technologically advanced. It's yeah. so it's so advanced. You're like, wait, what? There is electricity underwater and everything ain't dead. Mm-hmm. But it's so advanced. And then they even tell you the backstory of how they were already a technologically advanced you know, society. So yeah. I think the exposition is needed because it makes you take Atlantis more serious now. Instead yeah. of just looking at it, this is just an underwater thing. It's a bunch of fish. What are you telling me? <laughs> Yeah, I did enjoy the. I, I did enjoy getting to know Atlantis. I, I will say that I thought that that was that that was really cool and really necessary. I just found like every relationship it felt like we had to have this whole backstory for, and I just didn't need all of that. True but, that. Yeah, the Atlantis stuff is pretty sweet. Yeah, and I, one thing I do remember is I remember watching like this featurette with James Wan where he talked about Atlantis and just how much detail and how much time they spent on all of the the subtleness of, of, you know, like the, the way their armor looked like fish gills and like all of that, those little details. And they're all great. But I will say I'm a sucker for a good montage and Willem Dafoe training uh, yeah. young, oh young God. Arthur Curry. Like that one, I was like, OK, this 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 definitely hits me exactly where I want to be. And just like, you know, the the reluctant, slightly anger angry tutor who's just like get it together kid like i love that i live for that it's not fair this thing is so big and awkward why can't he use a sword that's your mother's trident a traditional weapon of royalty you'll never be a king until you've mastered it why should you never come to see me huh i told you when you're ready stop lying to me i've done everything you ever asked and every time I pass a test, you make up another one. That one kicks really hard for me. What about you, Jay? When, when, you had gonna, to pick- when am I gonna learn how to master the Triton? <laughs> like he was, he was so Arthur was so disheartened because he was like, yeah. just, "Where's my mama?" Like it was yeah. like you felt the emotion because he's training and also asking about his mother and feels like his mother's abandoned him. And Volko can't really tell him, but you were about to ask me another question. Yeah, no, no. It's, I was just gonna say which one is for you because like that to me, I think. For all of the details, all of the opulence, all of the underwater, like that's the one that hits me. But what about you? What's your fave? For for me, it, it's a combination but of finding, of understanding the different kingdoms of Atlantis, especially when we go see the Fisherman's Kingdom with Jaman mm-hmm. Hansu, who is in every movie somehow, yeah. some way. <laughs> yeah. Jaman Hansu will find a way to, he plays a Fisherman's King. But you yeah. see how, again, the detail and how much beauty there is. And then you get to see the Brine Kingdom. You see, uh, you don't really go fully into Dolph Lundgren, Lundgren's kingdom, but you see about him. You see the different kingdoms of Atlantis. Again, those were one of the best things about it for me because it's like, oh, there are more kingdoms under, there are seven kingdoms, seven seas, all these different things we hear. And for me, that was one of the best things. And don't get me wrong, I'm sure that's probably ripped right from the Atlantis legend and whatever, but I'm not going to lie. When they started showing the other nations, I was like, James Wan cribbed this a little bit from Wakanda. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, a little oh, bit. you remember when Just they did, this, little bit. Remember when they did yeah. the trailers? When they yeah. put the trailers side by side, everybody was like, oh. Um. <laughs> I'm not saying he robbed it. I'm, I'm just saying right. he may have, he may have been a little bit like I like that. We'll borrow aspects. It's inspiration. Yeah, inspiration. Uh, speaking of, let, let's talk about what inspired some cringe. Because listen, we we've had a bit of a love fest thus far, but let's keep it real. Some of this dialogue felt like a dead fish, 
And there were a lot of cringy moments. Oh, that's good. That's that's almost like Jean Shallot territory. Hey, Mark, can we give her a round of applause for that one? She earned that one. Uh, yeah. It was, but listen, it's the facts. It's the facts. Now, I personally will, okay, so let me explain something to you guys. So whenever they're on movies, um, they literally give out an Oscar at the end of the year for like hair and makeup because it takes time <laughs> and effort. And in a movie like this, where literally you're going to have an actress who's going to have to look like she's given the wet look all the time, there's probably a lot of discussions about how you make that look good on camera. And I don't know if they should have had, they should have had more discussions because Mm. Amber Heard's wig, first of all, Sis from like the neck down in that like wetsuit that was like molded. I see why you got the part, girl. Like you look good. Co-signed. Hair up. What happened? First of all, she does not look good with red hair. It's just like, it's just the whole look did just not work. Oh, it did not work. And they had the chemistry. have an eye for for good or bad wigs like usually when i'm in a movie i'm such a moron that i just forget that there's hair and makeup at all what's it like is is that one of the worst wig situations for you jacqueline as a as a moviegoer oh no that's still shamar moore in dire of a mad black oh my jesus he he has these cornrows that are like awful and for more maybe like seen by larger portions of our audience i don't know how many of y'all have seen tire fairy movies but um malik pfeiffer in eight mile where he Mackay has Pfeiffer. Yeah, Mackay Pfeiffer. I said Malik Mackay Pfeiffer. Excuse me. Mackay Pfeiffer in 8 Mile where he has a week. fake dreadlocks is another one. The girl that played um, the girl that played Star what's her name? Starfire in the DC Anna show. Diop. Girl. Hmm. <laughs> But there's so many of them. Samuel L. Jackson has sported a few struggle hair pieces in his day. Formula 51 as Elmo McElroy. Those brains. I mean. <laughs> I love calling them struggle wigs. I think that's They that's are amazing. struggling, though, because they are, like, this, struggling. Like, but then you also have the fact that, like, she's swimming around and it's like, and, and you're underwater for a lot of the movie and you want that flowing hair. Because that was the first time that we saw Aquaman was in Batman v Superman and he just emerges from the ship and you just see, it looks like a Pantene commercial. You just have this flowing (laughs) locks and then he disappears and you're like, what the hell was that? Show me more of the hair. It's like you get get all of the underwater look, but you also get a little bit of an 80s metal band vibe with a lot of the Atlanteans, with, with a lot of the underwater action here. And so I am all for flowing locks. Bad wig, good wig, I don't care. Give me, if you are an underwater creature or half human or whatever, grow your hair out. Didn't they have to, <laughs> didn't they have to like color correct? Cause it's only made red for Amber Heard's wig after editing and everything, because it's not that red yeah. when they actually shot it. It's bright, yeah. it's bright red. Right. Yeah. So how Absolutely. many of those little ping pong balls and dots were on her hair? on set where they were like, we need to make these exact strands get this darker red. Like, it's just, it is bad. It is just like, mm-hmm. it's supposed to look wet, but it looked dry all the time. It's like, what is, like, who? Another bad struggle wig. Um, folks will remember this one. The kid from Twilight, um, the wolf one, Taylor Lautner. That wig is a struggle wig. Oh, you remember this wig? Do y'all remember this wig? It's not difficult. I, I'm passionate about this as well. It's because <laughs> the Wheel of Time is about to come out. Mm. And I'm reading the books. I'm obsessed. And Rosamund Pike, Rosamund Pike's hair piece 
There are women that wear wigs every day. They have the fake scalp. It looks mm-hmm. incredible. They know how to do the like the this part. Mm-hmm. The what's this called? <laughs> the like widow's lace peak front. area. L- lace front, yeah, and all that. Not they look real. It looks real. Yeah. How yeah. does a how does Warner Brothers not invest? Or because any of these big budget places invest in a wig all with the a freaking scalp. All the Arrowverse shows, because all the no. Stephen and Mel wigs they put on were terrible. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'll tell yeah. you, this is why. This is why. The people who do those wigs very well and like literally are like the highest thing, there's like 10 of them. And they're all working with black <laughs> actresses yeah. as their permanent hairstylist. So like Lupita Nyong'o's hairstylist that like did her hair for like half of the stuff for Black Panther and like all those people, they're in such high demand and they're usually paired with black actors and actresses because if you go on set and you're getting ready to go for a three month movie, like Issa Rae, the woman who does her hair, she's like a really famous um, hairstylist. She literally is just like, when Issa goes on set, yeah, um, you have to use my hairstylist for the whole shoot. This movie so they're gone. $160 million. It's not that they I, can't afford it. They just cannot get them because these people have loyalty, Mark. Mm-hmm. And that $160 okay, million was the CGI, Mark. Let's just let's just be real. It was to mm-hmm. give you a look at all, all the fishes, the different fishes. Yeah. Well, okay, that that's that's what I'm going to sort of stand up for. And, I, and I'm going to represent all of those poor sea creatures that we lost because Mark Hoffmeyer, our expert researcher, put a great note in there. He made a random observation that is going to be my cringe moment here is that there's a lot of dead whales at, at the end at the end of the movie. And and Hoff, I agree with Hoffmeyer where he's like, why would you send endangered species? If you care about <laughs> the, the underwater creatures, why are you sending endangered species to come fight when you already have all of these huge monsters that, that are going to basically turn the tide for you? Mm-hmm. Why are you throwing Willie in there? Why are you throwing Flipper in there? Why are you even throwing Bruce the shark into a battle like this where yeah. you're basically just a sacrificial pawn? I mean, come on, Aquaman. If you care about underwater creatures, you talk to these fish on a daily basis. Be better. <laughs> <laughs> Do better. Thank you. Thank you, Mark Hoffmeyer, for, for illuminating that point oh, to me. And, yeah. but, but that epic battle's pretty awesome, though. I yeah. will say that. I know what my cringe moment is. What? Julie Andrews is the carathon. Like As what? Oh, car- yeah. She's the giant monster. Mary yeah. Poppins is the giant monster that tells Arthur, if King Atlan doesn't find you worthy, I haven't eaten in eons and I'm yeah. famished. What? <laughs> also, Poppins. <laughs> also, before people fight me, Black Panther actually came out the same year. Mm-hmm. Is it? Is it? What What year did Black Panther come out? Was 2018. It 2018. Yeah. So Black it was February Pan- of 2018, yeah. and then this February. was like Christmas. This was like Christmas. So I'm not saying that James Wan cribbed the story, but not saying that he didn't either. It's the same story <laughs> in reverse. I'm it's, just saying. I'm just saying. Aquaman is Killmonger in the situation. If you look at it, yeah. Arthur Curry is Killmonger. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and you also have that like that that king that uh, Nereus that, that's played by Dolph Lundgren here, mm-hmm. who it, it sort of gets fooled into an into an alliance with the bad guy, Orm. But you also never really trust Dolph Lundgren's intentions, and part of that is because we're so conditioned to know him as Drago, because this was the year <laughs> that th- this was the resurgence. This season was the resurgence of Dolph Lundgren because he yeah. was also back as Drago 
in oh in where he two. had Florian Montenu as his son, which I just yeah, did you, that can you say that again. Florian Did you hear all the swoon? Oh boy, Florian. Listen. My love for Bill Hader is it transcends space and time. I will forever pledge for him. I love him so much. But if you just want to talk about who was ripped off the pages of the romance novels that I have read way too many of, that is yep, Florian yes, Montanu. That dude looks like he can break women in the best of ways. And I'm sorry. <laughs> I like your, watching him wings. on screen. <laughs> I like watching him on screen, ladies. If you want to check out Shang-Chi, let me tell you, he comes in. Also, check out his Instagram page. You will not be disappointed. Okay, enough objectifying of uh, stars of different movies. Hey, I've been but- I've been objectifying Momoa since we started the show. I so. mean, seriously, though, this is definitely a beefcake parade in all of the best ways. Also, though, too, like what's great about Jason Momoa is for as much as he is like... Um, Uh, a sex symbol for women or whatever. He's also just like a good dude. And we'll talk about maybe a little bit like behind the scenes, but like any dude who, who like gives his wife her very first car, he like took his Uh wife's first car, Lucy Bonet, and he restored it. It was a 19, I think 69 uh, Mustang. And he literally like did it up to where it was beautiful again. Like you can just tell that dude loves um, on loud. Like he just loves on loud and he's just like, it seems like a good dude who just wants to be a good family man and have fun when he's making movies. Okay, and so- yeah, that, that's all That's all nice and cute. If I had the body of Jason Momoa, I'd be restoring cars outside all day too. <laughs> By myself <laughs> in nothing but some jeans and Timberlands. I don't give a shit if it's 97 degrees outside. I'm just out, just outside Jay sweating. Yes. And if I'll- I was Lisa Bonet, I'd be out there wiping the hood. Let's be honest. If I look like ma'am, she did, I would be ma'am, doing the same. ma'am. <laughs> Bam. This I mean, this is a woman that literally the got Wendy's. the love and affection of Jason Momoa and Lenny Kravitz and had babies with this both. This is true. This is true. There's something special about hey, homegirl. You talk about royal bloodlines. That's Seriously. that's the family we're looking at. And Seriously. they're and luckily for us, they're above water. They're, they're actually on Earth. And they're not underwater, and so we don't get to see them and objectify them as much. They're here, and we get to enjoy them each and every day and each and every week in Us Weekly. But I'm also going to say this real quick. Yeah, I don't hate, and maybe this is actually a credit to the movie, I don't hate where Orm is coming from. He's the really? bad guy. Yeah, we yeah. know that. I don't hate where Orm's coming from because he's basically like, look, I'm going to unite. I'm going to rule. I- I'm being a dick that I want to be the dictator, but I also want to obliterate everybody above the ocean because they're ruining and they're polluting Earth. Yeah. I don't necessarily hate that, and I'm not sure that I was won over that Aqua- why Aquaman would care about us. I know there's some cool superheroes that he's now friends with, but I don't know that I wouldn't just want to get rid of humanity either. I'm not sure about getting rid of humanity, but when they did that trash jumping scene, I'm like, I would like that to happen because I've been to way too many dirty beaches. And like the Mm. idea of being like, here, you drop this to the entire shore. (laughs) Not going to lie. I liked that moment. That was a that was a very good one. It's one of those things, too. It's sort of like the Samuel L. Jackson character in um, Kingsman. You know, these these people like even Thanos to a certain respect, like all of these people who are trying to do nefarious things for the greater good. I don't agree with your methods, but I understand the necessity because I think if anything, the past few months have told us left to our own devices, not everybody's going to understand the assignment. 
Yeah, and there's yeah. seven billion people, and so there there's way too many to just for Orm and like his armies to just go above ground and just be like, okay, you're bad, you're good, you're yeah. bad. Just gonna wipe the whole slate clean. And I will say to all of our viewers who are watching us out here, this is the same straw that I've been using all week in Vegas. I do not. I do my best to recycle <laughs> plastic straws because they're not good for the ocean. Here's so the, I'm yeah. doing. Hey, my look part. at this with my with my horrible. McDonald's unsweet tea. I have a metal straw because that is what I do. Here's oh, you got Mickey D's? Here's the thing yeah. with Orm, though. Yeah. He set up his kingdom to go to war. Like, my man's hired Black Manta to attack yeah. him to like, yo, all right, cool. Here you go, bro. Here's like two billion dollars Oh, it's like, gold it's like a pieces. fake assassination. Yeah. yeah, like, here go all your gold pieces. And you got Black Manta who's like, hey, bro, I don't need all this money. Just help. Just give me due. Like, yeah. can you mm -hmm. imagine how obsessed you are? Like, he killed my father. He killed my father. That's all <laughs> <laughs> he killed my father. That is his. That is his like, father is played by Michael Beach Michael too. Beach. And if Michael Beach was my father and somebody murdered him, I would definitely go on the parade. Ma'am, this is a Wendy's. <laughs> yes, I would go on the parade. I will kill you. I will kill you like Vanessa Williams tried to kill him in Soul Food. Ma'am, that is a deep is cut a for people that didn't know. We need to get. We're gonna. We're gonna get out of here on movie talk. We're gonna go into behind the scenes before we talk about any more randomness. This is what's great about having Jay on is we just go on tangents, but they're fun <laughs> tangents. Uh, let's go ahead and transition over to behind the scenes. Brian, cue the music. All right, everyone, we wouldn't be here. We wouldn't have had Aquaman, which would, again, was doing a tall order because Wonder Woman and what Patty Jenkins did with that really sort of set literally a high watermark, both with audience, tomato meter, and not box office, but definitely all those three things coming together. Wonder Woman was the year before Aquaman came out and it sort of like set the stage. And here comes James Wan. And like, I just wonder, is it because they trusted him more than other directors, because Patty Jenkins talks about how like Wonder Woman, the first one really wasn't one where she had the control she would have liked, but you can just tell James Wan, they let him do what he wanted in this. Am I wrong? I don't know, Jay, what do you feel? No, he got he got the free, again, James Wan is a horror director, which is why you get a horror movie in the middle of a bright, beautiful comic book movie. That That's like, that's how they let you know, you do what you want. You, you do yeah. what you want. We just need, like, they didn't even give him notes where this needs to connect. The only thing he had to do was have, have Mara say, you fought Steppenwolf. That's it. That was all. <laughs> Everything else is its own thing. Yeah, I, I I love that that comic book movies are are doing this with the directors they choose now, where they're allowing them to bring their genre history to the material in the same way like if you had a show if you had a game show that you needed a host for and you hired jay or me because we're comics we're going to pepper in jokes like that that's yeah. that's where we're coming from and so in the same way that i think people got really excited when scott derrickson was doing dr strange and he's going to bring some horror to that or even now Sam Raimi doing the sequel to that, you have James Wan and we said, oh, this guy's good at doing horror stuff. What sort of like creatures are we gonna get? What sort of, are we gonna get a jump scare in Aquaman? And it's just, he's got such a good eye for stringing the viewer along, just, just giving us enough information that we can piece it together. But that's why I felt like all the exposition felt like it weighed the movie down, is that I feel like he was saddled with a lot of that yeah. to do. Because it's like it's like when Ryan Coogler does Black Panther, you let him make his movie. I would have liked, and I hope that with the sequel that they let James Wan make his movie a little bit more with the Lost Kingdom or whatever the hell that sequel is going to be called. 
Yeah, I mean, I think it's something that Marvel went through that. I think we talked about it on one of our recent episodes. I think it was like Iron Man 3, where I talked about this. You know, early days of Marvel was known, like like not just in a rumor instance, but in a point blank and period told. Marvel is hard to work for because they have yeah. this huge vision and they're not going to let you do what you want. And I think um, it, it's interesting. They've kind of backed off on that. And it's something that's happened, I think, like the studio with age, but also even directors. I recently saw a quote from James uh, Cameron, him talking about how he's changed making this avatar versus the first one. Like he used to be the type of director that'd be like, this is what we're doing. Give me this line this way, you know, whatever. And he says he's eased up in his age of like trusting that he's working with people who know what they're doing. And I think they're all slowly but surely becoming like Ron Howard. Ron Howard has always been that kind of director where he really is about the collaborative process. He never takes it as an offense when someone asks a question in the middle of a setup or anything like that. And I hope that was part of Aquaman too. I mean, look, they're they're making it right now. Uh, Yaya, who was just barely, you know, a guy that people knew uh, when this happened. And by the time this comes out, he will have done The Watchmen, Candyman and Matrix. Mm-hmm. Um, it's Ooh. just interesting to think about where he's shifted in in his time. And look, this one made money. I do feel like Aquaman 2, if we get like one of those good trailers, one of those good, good trailers, we're probably going to be in a different point with uh, the global box office and how it's been affected by the pandemic. I mean, this thing has got some very billion dollar aspirations and potentials that could very much happen. As long as you don't change the formula, in a sense, you can just up the ante. Just don't change what worked. Mm-hmm. I think that because a lot of times you'll have that happen where movies get so successful where they go into the sequel and somebody's like, no, we can do this whole thing differently. A la Deadpool 2. That's why it wasn't received as well as it was, as the first one was. There was something mm-hmm. about the first one, but then the second one, granted, yes, you changed directors and everything, but you changed what worked. If James Wan sticks to what, for lack of better words, what he knows with what works with Aquaman and just enhances on it, then yeah, we're looking at another billion dollar box office. Again, all things considered with the pandemic and everything. Yeah, it would have to be some some good timing too, just because with with DC, I think that the fact that the DCU is so confused as to what it wanted to be, and we still don't really know what any timeline looks like because we, we don't know if we're getting a if 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 Henry Cavill's ever coming back. We we don't know about some of these characters, and so I think that James Wan getting to make another Aquaman. I hope that they still keep it standalone because sometimes when I go see a comic book movie, I want to see the other heroes sort of pop in, like Captain America: Civil War. Sometimes I just want to see a standalone adventure, and I hope we get that with Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom because I do think there's so much potential there. I'd be lying though if I said I wasn't super excited for Malignant because it's James Wan <laughs> returning yeah. to direct a horror movie. Jacqueline, have you seen it yet? Are, no, I haven't seen Film it Festival? yet, but I'm. I haven't seen it yet, but I'm definitely going to check it out. Um, I, I, it's so funny. Basically, until just a little bit before me starting this movie, my anxiety and like fear of being scared really kept me away from the horror genre. And I've come to realize now that I don't hate the horror genre. I just don't like too much gore. So like, if you can find a good horror movie where I'm not like literally like like worried that I'm watching like almost like a surgery. Like I have a aversion to the type of horror stuff that makes me feel like I'm watching one of those like um, PBS documentaries where they're doing the surgery with the camera. You know what I mean? I'm like, I don't wanna see that. But I don't wanna see that in any movie. And it's just, I think all the horror movies I used to watch early on were that. And so I've, I've learned 
to go back and look at a lot of things that, you know, James Wan did, things that he produced and really come to enjoy him as a director later on. And so, yeah, I'm definitely going to check this one out. Also, too, the one thing I will say about the sequel of Aquaman is was true with the first one. This is a movie that I think really um, is close to Jason Momoa's heart in the sense that he really identified with that. I didn't know this, and it was from the research. Uh, he grew up in, like, uh, like basically, like, Wisconsin area. <laughs> like, he grew up as, like, the one brown kid in, like, Bridges of Madison Square County uh, area, basically. Uh, he graduated very young. He was a, a late bloomer, so he graduated super skinny and brown in the sea of white people. And so he very much identified with this whole Aquaman story of, like, just feeling very different. And I think embracing that aspect of the story now that he is literally going to be sitting on the throne of Atlantis that's not going to change any he's going to feel still like an outsider and I think leaning into that kind of stuff is really interesting it's what made Guardians of the Galaxy interesting it's what makes uh, a movie like Black Panther interesting anytime you can really find those universal things that a lot of people have dealt with and build the superhero craziness around it it's always going to be really good speaking of the MCU do y'all know the, I guess this will be my trivia for today. Do you know what role or what movie Jason Momoa auditioned for in the MCU? What role? Thor. He auditioned I would say to Thor. play, he auditioned to play somebody in Guardians of the Galaxy. I don't know Ooh. if it was like Star Wars. He also met with the Russo brothers. They were trying to find like a villainy sort of role for him in the MCU and it just didn't work out. And I'm, I am thankful it didn't because yeah. I feel like that this guy is one of a handful of people on earth who can literally carry an entire franchise on their shoulders. So yeah. I don't want to see him just pop in as like a cool, like Frank Grillo is awesome as Crossbones. And I think that that's perfect for him. I think that Jace Momoa just, he is, he's just one of those rare folks that, I will go see a movie because he's on the poster. I, I, he was great in that Stallone movie. I have a in question. That, that bullet to the head. I have a question. Uh, Mark, Mr. Ellis, out of all the Sir. people who play roles within the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Frank Grillo was the one you went to? No, no, because he's not like he's Frank good in his role. And, and Frank Grillo, though, is the, the crossbones one is the one you choo show. Hey, you know what? Jay? I got love for Frank Grillo. When Thank they you, said, when they said, does anyone want to get out of the elevator? Come on now. It was Who's crossbones? Awesome. Who's he's, Frank Grillo? He's the guy that is the reason why we have the Sokovia Accords. I'm joking. I, I mean, I this is technically true. That is that that is true, Jacqueline. Crossbones is the reason for the Sokovia Accords. When you sit really there, is. the best Punisher movie we've ever gotten is Frank Grillo in The Purge Anarchy. And I will yeah. not. Yeah. Okay, I'm yeah. with you Frank on this. Grillo slander yeah. on this uh -huh. program. Okay, I'll take you with yeah. that one. But I'm and, just... and you know what? You know what, Jay and Jacqueline? He's never needed a wig, as far as I know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Okay, that's a great place to end. Uh, <laughs> our behind the scenes talk we are going to rip open the mailbag in a new version we're gonna Ooh. we're gonna do a little bit different this time but let's let's rip open the mailbag uh brian cue the music okay so a little bit different i want y'all to listen up because we've got an audio clip from a member of the ketchup crew wow. uh nick burrows uh, Nick Burroughs sent us an audio clip, so let's take a listen. 
Hello, producer Lucy. It's Nick Burrows calling from Switzerland, but I'm originally Australian. If you can't tell, this is not a Swiss accent. Love you guys. Love the podcast. I've been a listener since day one. I can't believe you guys have been going for so long now, but it's my weekly entertainment as I go around and put these things in. So a couple of things um, because I got a list. Uh, first of all, movie that you have to do, and I'm not even looking it up on Rotten Tomatoes to see where we're at, but Prometheus, the prequel, prequel of all prequels. I love it. And I love it, love it, love it, love it, love it. And I'm a big fan of Alien, Aliens, Marion 3, meh, whatever, but whatever. Just weed me stuff, fine. Um, and then, you know, 4, we can just pretend that one didn't happen and whatever. But Prometheus, the setup, even though it's not an Aliens movie, um, Numi Rapace, like, I mean, come on. There's, you know, the, the way it's taking on robots and stuff, like, I really think in advance. The FX are good. The story is fucking awesome. I don't know. I'm pretty sure that it's rotten as all hell and it's probably got a better audience score, which is probably underrated. So I'd really love to hear your guys' feedback on that one. Second point, and maybe I'll just leave it as a second point and I won't go into the rest of my list, is that I think your format is wrong. I think Rotten Tomatoes is wrong is wrong in terms of its format. And I reckon you guys should have audience people rather than other critics on i appreciate the other critics you have on and the other social people you have on they're cool and everything but i think you really need some voice of the people and the real people that aren't mixed up in the world of how do we review this and having that critical eye you just need some balls to the wall people that can come in and talk about not knowing anything about who's who and what's what and all that sort of stuff and give a completely diverse opinion. And I'm putting my hand up for it. Have me on your show for a Prometheus special. All right. Take care, guys. Thanks. Nick! Nick! Thank you, Nick. If that was an audition tape, cast that man. This is going to be like Spielberg at the end of E.T. audition. You got the part, kid. You got the part. It's also the beauty of having a Jay Washington on because Jay is a man of the people. Jay walks amongst them each and every day. He can be highfalutin. He can put a critical eye on things, but he doesn't have to be. He still represents the voice of the public at large. And I will say, Nick, good news for you. Prometheus is fresh. 73 What is wrong with you people? Prometheus is terrible I'm so- <laughs> I actually want to talk about this because I Prometheus was my man of steel there are certain movies that I had to watch four or five times before I could stay awake for them and Prometheus <laughs> is one of them it took me four times watching that movie to stay awake yeah. I am not as oh, big of a fan Jacqueline, as Nick Jacqueline you didn't want to see the Michael Fassbender and Michael Fassbender love affair girl I'm just <laughs> I'm gonna say oh, didn't they drag Idris Elba into that too is Idris Elba drag- in that one Idris Elba into Prometheus. Look, I don't remember if Idris Elba's in it or not, but I, I here's what I do remember about Prometheus. It's it's a gorgeous-looking movie. I think the mythology is very interesting. I am so tired of astronauts having sex in outer space. <laughs> I am so they did tired. drag They did drag Idris Elba into that one. Idris Elba is in that movie. This is oh, before Idris geez. Elba was like Idris Elba, but yes, they did drag Idris Elba into that movie. I, it was post-wire, pre-Star Trek. If you're gonna if you're gonna have sex astronauts, wait until after the mission, okay? Don't do it. (laughs) You gotta have a clear head. You gotta have a clear head going into the mission, though, Mark. That's why. You're not thinking straight. You are afterwards. You are after sex. Have you not thought straight after sex, Mark? Yeah. 
Um, oh, this is I got to remember is. the last time it happened, so I got to go back to like college. <laughs> uh, let me let, let me check By the, the old way, diary. All of the women who have been in the string of Mark Ellis since then are gonna like rush. Rotten Tomatoes is wrong. <laughs> They're gonna be emailing us as RT is wrong. Rotten Tomatoes. Um, I hooked up with Mark Ellis on the road in Las Vegas, like in 2004. I don't know why he's trying to pretend that we did it. Oh my god, he had oh. this, he had this one straw that he kept from a Starbucks drink, and he was like, "It's special." <laughs> this is from this is this is my 2004 straw. This is my Good Luck Vegas straw. Wait, okay. are you serious? Are there worms in that? <laughs> like in Prometheus? <laughs> okay, Nick, Producey Lucy looks like she's on board with this idea. I'm definitely on board with this idea. Your audio clip was absolutely amazing. And in fact, it's like definitely made me be like, if you all want to send audio clips, please do, yeah. because the audio really does liven it up and I don't have to read things and, and make my dyslexia be strained even more than it is also, when we do the show. He, didn't he sound like Joel? Our oh boss? my God, he totally did. So Joel, Joel Mears, uh, <laughs> who produces this podcast with us and has been on a That's few a times. That's a great call. We've my never boss. seen We've never seen Joel and Nick in the same room. I mean, are they the same person? Is that like Joel just disguising it? Joel's voice is a little bit posher, but he may be like, you know, like getting it a little bit more for the street Mm. just to just to disguise it. I'm putting that out there. And if Nick comes on, I kind of want Joel to come on, too, so we can just Aussie, Aussie, Aussie it up. Anyway, (laughs) that's going to be it for us today. As always, Mr. J. Washington, it is always a pleasure to have you on to talk movies with us. It is literally a joy. I can't believe they pay us to do this job. But, sir, before you get out of here, please let us know. They do pay us. (laughs) They do pay us. Don't pretend like you don't get paid either. (laughs) It is a joy talking with you all and finding out about the worst wigs in Hollywood. You know, what other life lessons would I rather have? But always, Twitter, Instagram, at Mr. J. Washington, M-R-J-A-Y. You should know how to spell Washington. Blurs in the hood every Tuesday and Thursday. Thursday, YouTube and Twitch, 6 p.m. Pacific, 9 p.m. Eastern. Myself and my co-host, Winston A. Marshall, we talk about the world of pop culture, news, sports, entertainment, politics, and all that more from a Blurred's perspective. And we are unapologetically black. YouTube.com slash Blurred's in the hood, B-L-E-R-D-S. The letter N-T-H-E-H-O-O-D. But more importantly, my stand-up special, my mini stand-up special, Educated Insanity, drops tomorrow. Tomorrow Woo-hoo. on YouTube, thanks to the Funny Media Group. So I have all that up on my social medias. So please check that out and just bump it up and send the love and laugh and all that good stuff. And just have a little fun with me going wild for a while. All right. You got a movie recommendation for us? Because I know you be watching things. Oh, yeah. Uh, my movie recommendation would be uh, Killer Clowns from Outer Space. Because where else can you find clowns who kill people in cotton candy and suck them up like Slurpees while the clowns look devilishly cute but demonically evil at the same time? Cute. <laughs> the, the little short one, the little short one, the like little short, little fat pudgy one that runs around. Everybody's like, oh, look at him. And he just be murdering people. I mean, all of them be no. murdering. Killer clowns from outer space, man. You better watch that movie, Bart. Yeah, I, uh, I, I remember seeing it when I was a kid. I just never I don't remember falling in love with any of the clowns being like, oh, I want to get one. Like, I, I'm going to keep them at an arm's length. OK, yeah. I don't trust clown folk. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> I agree. There's a reason why people are scared. Uh, Jay, again, thank you so, so much. And I will say this um, for me personally. um this when this comes out the next day I'll be getting ready to cover the Emmys and I just recently caught up with all of Ted Lasso and I am now completely up to date on that show it is unbelievably great I cannot oh, believe 
Speaking of yeah. Ted Lasso, Jacqueline, yes. uh, when you were out of town, I did get all of the packages that were sent to your house. Uh, <laughs> you I'm holding them hostage. They're not in Vegas. I did not bring them to Vegas. They're in my apartment. So you can call one of our, maybe one of our neighbors to retrieve them. But If I need just, to, yeah. For all of our listeners, I did faithfully retrieve all of Jacqueline's packages before they got stolen. So I'm not going to lie to you. Mark is my buddy. And the reason why is I actually got this package that literally just screamed, steal me. And because it said uh, a very popular show that I may have mentioned on the side of it, I was like, this is not going to make it to when I get back. Nope. So I asked nope. Mark to help me out and he did because he's a friend and he can be a what friend of yours. If you want to email us at RT is wrong at Rotten Tomatoes. Don't forget to like, follow, subscribe, tell your friends. We've had such great response to the podcast lately and it is all because of y'all. And next week, Mark, we're doing Ooh. one that's heavily requested, I believe, next week. Is this correct? People have been begging for us to do this movie. They want justice. They want this person, this star, to get what they so richly have deserved for decades now, and that would be Encino Man star Brendan Fraser. We're not doing Encino Man. We're actually doing The Mummy starring yes. Brendan Fraser. We have a lot of fans that have uh, hit us up on social media saying you got to talk about any Brendan Fraser movie, but particularly The Mummy. So we're going to give some of them a shout out on that show. And our good buddy Eric Striffler from Pretty Much It is going to be gushing about The Mummy. I hear he is a big fit, like a, he owns Mummy merch. I hear that's wow. how big of a fan he is. Yeah, so, I, I think be a you're right about that. I think you're right about that. All right. Thank you all. We will see you all next time on Rotten Tomatoes is Wrong. On behalf of Producey Lucy, Mr. J. Washington, my co-partner Mark Ellis, and Brian Perez behind the audio, we want to thank you guys, and we'll see you all next time. Bye-bye. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader, like that car riding right your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on AutoTrader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.